Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Sarah Zickerman, and this is my latest cookbook, Secrets of Great Second Meals. The last time we chatted was about the Bon Appetit Food Lovers Cleanse cookbook that you wrote, and you even had lunch suggestions based on leftovers from the night before. So you've been a leftover supporter for years now. Talk a little bit about that. Well, yes, the the Bon Appetit plans, because there were menus for two weeks of healthy eating, um, I started thinking about how to make it a little more reasonable since it was based on home cooking. And even though we all love to cook at home, some some days it's just too busy and just really trying to cook every meal at home would be complicated. So, um, so I thought about using beautiful leftovers and then reframing them in a way that made them feel new and fresh. So in the, in the case of the Bon Appetit book, it was thinking about a lot of uh, those proteins in um, in salad form, in delicious, crunchy salads, all sorts of textures and all sorts of flavors. And um, it just reminded me how much I love that part of cooking, the sort of cyclical nature of cooking, where um, one meal trails into the next. I think it's a really beautiful aspect of cooking that allows you to treat your ingredients with the most respect. Of course, it allows you to save money because you're not wasting as much food, but there's just something very natural about um, letting one meal inform the next. You take uncommon delight in putting together memorable meals out of the morsels in your fridge, and it definitely comes through Mm -hmm. in this cookbook. (laughs) Can you give us a brief history of the L word? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Lefters as such didn't really have an existence until people had... um, have refrigerators and in the sense of a problem of having too much food left around the house in the, in the past, people probably would have eaten a stew the next morning just to use it up. Um, But when refrigerators started being popular in American culture, first in the late 19th century was sort of ice based refrigerators and then electric refrigerators, this idea that you had this food that was around and you didn't quite finish it and you could keep it for a while uh, became an issue. And so Around that era, at the beginning of the 20th century, um, cookbooks started to come out dealing with this new thing called leftovers. At the same time, women were encouraged to um, be very thrifty. This was the heart of the home economics movement in America. So housewives were supposed to use their their skills uh, and ingenuity to keep the household finances in good shape and to be creative and use up every little scrap of food in the house. That sort of grew through the beginning of the the 20th century and sort of crowning achievements in the mid-century were like jello uh, (laughs) jello molds (laughs) with (laughs) every kind of knick-knack in them. And, uh, you know, of course, the era of casseroles with um, tinned uh, soup and, uh, you know, yet last leftover turkey from, you know, in the casserole. So... And of course, naturally, any any sort of uh, that kind of cooking wore down people's uh, palates, and uh, it became it sort of lost lost glamour uh, as we moved into the second half of the 20th century. And people got very interested in farmers market and fresh foods, and really connecting with foods and experimenting with foods from around the world. And that sort of homey cooking, I think, 
felt less uh, less of the moment at that point. Uh, what has happened recently? Well, we are all becoming much more aware of our, the impact of our eating on the environment. So people are thinking a lot about uh, waste, food wastage, which wastes not just our money, our household money, but waste uh, water and creates a larger carbon footprint. So there is an activist movement that I'd say really got traction in England first and then came here and You'll see people like Dan Barber really encouraging chefs and home cooks alike to think about how much food gets wasted in our environment. There's an estimate that it's about 40% of food gets wasted um, in the United States. So that's a huge amount. And so I just combine that concern in my book with also the pleasure of, of, of creativity and if you can, part of the joy of cooking in the kitchen can be, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm wasting a little bit less food, but I'm also having fun thinking about this new environment for whatever I have around the refrigerator. It can make it really fun and a, and a pleasing part of your cooking life. In terms of food waste, we're all thinking about food waste these days, but no one really talks about this way of thinking and cooking and how it's really budget friendly too. And you mentioned that in the cookbook. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, you need to know what you'll use. <laughs> and uh, if you can cook a few dishes that you know are, are you know, you'll enjoy and, your and if you have a family and your family will enjoy uh, and, and kind of cook a little more at the beginning of the week, maybe you cook it kind of simply, um, then you can reframe it and it takes a little less time the second time around because you've already cooked whatever that main ingredient is. Um, and then it's also, you know, you're, you're conscientiously thinking about different ways to frame your food. And so you have more fun and you're more likely to maybe eat at home instead of ordering takeout. And that also saves money, of course. In addition oh my God, to it's so expensive, <laughs> especially in New York City, you get all these extra charges, the delivery charges. So a family of three, you can easily rack up a $50 bill just getting Chinese food. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. But I I never want to sound scoldy. I get bored very easily. I'm not the kind of person who can eat exactly the same meal days after days in a row. So that that's where the sort of fun and the creativity and the transformation comes to play. So that that, you know, sort of simple roast chicken you had one day might become a uh, chicken salad like on the cover of the book that has a wonderful ginger soy dressing, or it might become enchiladas, or it might become a Greek-style lemon soup. It could go in any of those directions. And that's, uh, that, that allows for a little bit of spontaneity, even as you're trying to be thoughtful. You write about the Eureka moment. Talk about that. <laughs> oh, it's just, you know, that, like I said, I think there's this pleasure that cooks take, and, and maybe not all cooks, but that when you sort of figure out how a few things can fit together um, and improve each other. And so that mo so I think about that when I'm sort of meditating on this little bit of extra pork shoulder I have around and I realize that it might make, um, I could add a little more flavor to the pork shoulder, like adding some uh, annatto and it will taste a little bit like cochinita pibil. It won't be a classically prepared cochinita pibil, but it will have some of that lovely lemony annatto flavor. 
and that that could be reframed into tacos after I'd had it, maybe a more Italian version of it the night before. And then you just start thinking, oh, and then I have that extra half a red onion that's in the fridge, and then I'll pickle that. And look, you know, suddenly you have this new meal, and sort of the anticipation of how that meal will come together is what what I think of as the eureka moment. Soup is always and almost always an option, and it's one of there's a whole chapter in the book on soups, and that's often the way that you can figure out how to put all those puzzle pieces together. So I want to chat about a question you brought up in the cookbook, which was, if we revered these ingredients that were painstakingly grown in organic fields and handcrafted by food artisans. Why do we not also appreciate them after the first meal? And I was wondering, why don't we? <laughs> We're so quick to throw uh, it away. Yeah, I think we are. I, well, I think there's there's a few different camps, I would say, for sure. There are people who grew up uh, and they just never like leftovers. And, 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 and they are a, a tougher nut to crack, but I think... I think the key is reframing things and making things feel a little uh, new and fresh. And then there's those of us who are more like me, probably, who just have good intentions and don't get around to it. (laughs) And it's sort of that delayed virtue thing that I think we all engage in a lot in our modern world. (laughs) But it's true. I do think that there's a level of respect for ingredients that, you know, um, that you that should should extend beyond the farmers market and and extend into our daily lives and it's always going to look glorious uncooked at the farmers market but what happens when it's in your refrigerator and uh, or in your freezer and you know how can you really bring back that that enthusiasm you had for the same thing before it was cooked and before you tried it and I always say I'm easily bored so. Uh, I think of ways of layering in flavors and layering in textures. So even if I'm not preparing one of these recipes from start to finish, I I have great condiments in my refrigerator door, like a harissa or gochujang, which are two different chili-based sauces. Gochujang from uh, Korea, which has the sort of a miso-y fermented bean taste, and then harissa, which has lovely warm spices like cumin and caraway in it. So those are things I would anoint this second day food with to just bring in that vibrancy or maybe all a great lemon zest over top of something and uh, add a or add a dollop of yogurt to add a freshness. So always thinking about ways that you can, even very simple ways that you can add a, another layer of vibrancy to food after it's been in the refrigerator. Of course, it can get a little less uh, sharp tasting once it's been sitting in the refrigerator for a little while. So you need to think about ways of, of reviving food, but uh, really taking pleasure in it. Give us some general rules on when to throw things out, like fish and seafood, vinaigrettes, moldy right. cheese, <laughs> or cooked meats. <laughs> Okay, that sounds good. Well, with fish and seafood, no one wants old old cooked seafood around. I mean, it just really is. Um, it, it spoils quickly. So I tend to use that the next day. Actually, I love having leftover salmon, especially if it's been a little smoked, like if I did it on the barbecue. But I do ch- tend to use it the next day. The one exception might be something like an escabeche. If you've made a vinegar-based marinade, you probably can get away with you know another day or two. But um, basically, that's a quick thing. Just think of a clever thing to do the next day, maybe for brunch, you could make a strata and throw in some of the leftover barbecue uh, in that case. With cooked meats, I think they generally can stick around for, you know, sort of three days or so. The other thing I would say, though, is because we sometimes don't get around to the leftovers we mean to, if it's something saucy or stewy, I often just try to throw it in the 
freezer the next day rather than keep it around if I don't think I might get to it. And the freezer is always a good option for something that's got a lot of liquid in it. It's not such a good option for something that's like a dry roast, like if you just did a pork tenderloin in the pan, that's something you'd want to use from the refrigerator and not freeze. Oh, and then you asked me, the last question was cheeses. Now, there's a few recipes in this book that I, I really love because they're custom made for cleaning out the, um, the cheese drawer. And I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to get excited about cheeses and then we eat sort of through two thirds of it. And then there's this funny little nubbin of cheese that doesn't look quite as pretty anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, all cheese melts together for the most part. And so you can do, there's some wonderful recipes. I have my, one of my all time classic favorite things to make are gougere, which are those wonderful cheese pots. Um, And, uh, and you can mix those extra cheeses you have around the, the, um, the cheese drawer in a gougere. And they're just so extraordinarily delicious. The other fun thing is that gougere I found bake up best for me. If I've actually sort of made the dough, uh, pipe them onto a pan, and then freeze that dough, they actually, I find they bake better from the freezer. So not only am I saving um, the, this extra cheese that I've had around the refrigerator, but then I have them in the, the freezer, and if guests come over and I want a nice little appetizer, it's super easy to just pop into the oven for 20 minutes, and you have these like wonderful, crisp, fragrant, hot uh, gougere to serve your friend. One time, this is funny, one time I asked Dory Greenspan what she would offer me if I came to her house, and she said gougere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said, I'll be over in 15 minutes. It's done. (laughs) It's just, um, they're so pleasing. Uh, Kids love them, adults love them, Um, and, uh, you know, very simple. If you want to get fancy, you can cut them in half and and put things in as a little sandwich sandwich. but, you know, you can also just serve a big pile of them and next time you turn around, they'll be gone. So the other night, I made your recipe for the Sesame Roasted Winter Vegetable Party on page 47. It's mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. a unique way to roast vegetables. I always do the regular olive oil and salt and pepper, but yours mm-hmm. mixes together olive oil, tahini, garlic, sea salt, and sesame seeds. Describe this dish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like you, I often just do, you know, the olive oil thing, but sometimes I want a little more substance to a roasted vegetables and um, just a little more flavor. And so I love when I'm working with sesame to hit it in more than one way with the sesame. So there's the tahini, there's the, um, there's the sesame seeds, which toast up in the oven and get crunchy. Um, and then the idea is you make just a big batch of those roasted vegetables and you might then use them in a salad and, and, and just enjoy them throughout the week. That way you can puree them together and make a wonderful soup, but on their own, they're also delicious. And that extra sesame flavor just gives them a little richness and a little depth. I'm so excited to have this recipe now. Cause I'm so sick of the regular olive oil. It zipped <laughs> up my vegetables. It was really delicious. It is fun. Actually, roasted vegetables are great that way. One thing, there's, there's, there's a couple of other methods that I'll share that aren't in the book that I, that I love to do. Um, it, sometimes it's really great to hit them when they're just, cook them simply, but then hit them when they're just coming out of the oven with like some fresh grated garlic um, and maybe a little parsley and maybe a little Parmesan. And the, in that case, like the hot, um, the hot vegetables hitting the garlic just really adds a big burst of aroma. And that's another fun way to, to have a little more fun with your roasted vegetables. That's a good tip. 
So here is a brilliant tip that was a light bulb moment for me in this cookbook. Hang a list of what's in your fridge on the front of the fridge. It seems so simple, yet so effective. Yes. <laughs> and one, I will tell you that I uh, go through phases with because, you know, I am a human too. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm better organized than others. <laughs> but it is, it's true. If you know you have those things that are sort of um, in the fridge, that's sort of a kind of a, a restaurant organizational tip, you know, knowing, knowing the inventory of your fridge is really helpful. So if you write it down, or even if you just do a visual check, and also, of course, another restaurant tip that's so important is just to make sure to label what you put in the fridge. And again, I, it's not like I'm perfect with this, but I always regret not labeling things because something gets shoved to the back and then, um, you don't see it. And then it's a week later and you're like, oh no, this was that lovely lamb stew. I know. It's <laughs> the most defeating moment. You're like, oh, rest exactly. in peace, lamb stew. <laughs> <laughs> so what I like to do, uh, and it's, it's, um, there's many different ways to label. I have a roll of bright yellow masking tape and a Sharpie hanging from my kitchen shelf, just like a lot of restaurants do. And I just try my best, even if I had a glass of wine at dinner, when I throw things in the fridge to like slap that, that <laughs> label just to say, just to say what it is. And then it, it really makes a big difference. For my segment called My Last Meal, what would you have for your last supper? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good one. Um, it would be, I feel like I just would want a giant bowl of spaghetti bolognese. I just, um, I just love a meaty spaghetti sauce. I think it's just a childhood memory. And, um, and I just, uh, with a lot of delicious cheese nearby. <laughs> and then, a, and a crisp green salad too, because you need, you need something to counter as a counterpoint. Where can we find you on the web and social media? I'm pretty much at Sarah Dickerman. Uh, and then I've also started a new community on Facebook that I'm hoping people might enjoy. Um, that is uh, Second Meals. And that is just where people could share their ideas or their creations of uh, great second meals that they've come up with. So inventive use of, uh, of their leftovers. And uh, then I love Instagram. I'd say that's where I'm most, uh, most active. I'm totally going to check out your Facebook group and join it. That's exciting. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thanks, Sarah, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really great to talk with you. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.